You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. The We Love Equity Show is brought to you by Azria. Widely recognized as an outstanding resource for real estate investors with exceptional education, networking, and support, along with profit-enhancing benefits and all aspects of real estate investing. Visit Azria at www.azria.org. That's visit Azria at www.azreia.org. Do have a cheat sheet here. I'm not going to get through all 106 questions, right? I'm only going to be able to get through about 30 of them because I only want to do this for about an hour. But these are all questions that were asked continuously. So what I've been doing um, for honestly the past three or four years, I've been having these 30-minute free, 30-minute um, free consultations where you can jump on the phone with me and talk with me for 30 minutes. And what I did was I started logging on and started seeing some of the questions that were asked repeatedly about real estate investing. So I started writing those down and I started chronologically jotting down those questions. And I'm going to just start answering some of those questions here live for you guys. So you guys can really understand, um, really understand or get the answers to the questions that you may have been asked at some time. So let me make sure that everybody can hear me. Give me a thumbs up if you can hear me on Instagram or give me a wave, something like that on Instagram. So I know that you can hear me and then also do the same for me on YouTube so we can get a check on YouTube. All right, I got a yes, you can hear me. Yes, yes, yes. All right, okay, cool. So let's see what we got here. Give me one second. Okay. All right, so let's, I mean, let's just jump right in again. I only have an, have an hour. I think I'll be able to get through about 30 questions. Um, if you're online and you got some questions, just drop the questions in the comment section on Instagram. And if you're on the YouTube live, just drop them down there in the, um, in the comment section down there also. Okay. So if you don't know who I am, I'm Marcus Maloney, I'm a real estate investor, been investing in real estate for over a decade. I've done fix and flips. I've done wholesale transactions. I have a rental portfolio that's single family and multifamily. So I've done, done quite a bit. Trust me, not to toot my own horn or anything like that. I'm licensed in two states, but I learned by doing and having somebody that's um, that's showing me 
that showed me the ropes on how to how to get started. So part of my story was I started with the two hundred dollar first premier credit card. If you know about first premier, um, it's one of the credit cards when you have bad credit or no credit. And I didn't have, you know, sustainable income. I moved from Illinois to Phoenix, Arizona with the promise of a job and that job was rescinded. So I needed to do something to feed my family. I had three kids and a wife at the time and my expenses nearly doubled. So I needed to get at it and get to it and get to it pretty quickly. So I started out, you know, with real estate wholesaling so I can build up some money so I can then start buying uh, rental properties and things like that and doing some flips. So now, thank God, you know, that I was able to cross over that Jordan, make that transition into what I'm doing right now, where, you know, me and the family were doing residential um, group homes and emergency shelters, which we have been doing that in the past, but now we're starting to ramp that up even more. Um, and I'm still doing you know, wholesaling and fixing and flipping and building our rental portfolio. And just to be completely transparent, <laughs> got a settlement statement right here today that I just signed on a property that we're purchasing. So again, I'm not just here to talk about what I'm doing, but really show you that I'm active in doing it. So let's jump in and let's get started. So one of the questions that I always get is, how do I set myself apart from a world of dumb investors. And before we before we get started, if you stay till the end, right? I got something free that I'll give you. But if you want to get some content, um, go to marcusemaloney.com. That's marcusemaloney.com. Again, you can get your free purchase contract there. You can get your 15-minute free consultation. No sales. This is not a gimmick. I'm not trying to sell you on anything. Just genuinely want to answer these questions, right? Okay, so question number one, how do I set myself apart from a world of dumb investors, right? So there are some investors or claim to be investors out there that is really not doing anything. How do you set yourself apart? One of the things that you need to do is you really need to know your market. That's most important. So if you're going out there and you want to be a real estate investor, you want to invest in real estate, you need to know your market. So if you're in Denver, Colorado, you need to know what areas of Denver, Colorado you want to specifically be in, you want to know the rental numbers, you want to know the purchase numbers, you want to know the flip rehab numbers, you want to know the contractors that's in that area, and everything like that. That's one way to set yourself apart from everyone else, from the novice that come in and say, I want to do this, because we hear it as seasoned investors, we hear it all the time, hey, I want to do this, but I just don't know where to start. Hey, Jeremy, what's up, man? Um, want to do this, but I don't know where to start. Can you help me? And as a seasoned investor, trust me, we have a lot of things on our plate. And the last thing that we want is to pull someone in, to teach them the ropes, to teach them something, and they never go out and do anything with it, right? So we always want to make sure we always want to make sure that these that you're going to go out there and do something. And the best way to know that you're going to go out and do something is by knowing your market and knowing exactly what you're trying to get started with and what you're trying to do. OK. Uh, question number two, negotiation techniques to secure profitable deals. What are some negotiation techniques that you can use to secure profitable deals? Right. OK, so. 
just to be completely candid with you, one of the things that I always tell people is never split the difference. Um, there's a book by um, Chris Voss named Never Split the Difference. And what I mean by that is if somebody say, hey, you know what? I need to sell this property at $200,000 and you're at 180, you know, don't say, okay, well, we'll do it at 190. Don't split the difference. All right. Um, number two, know your numbers, be committed to your numbers. So again, if you know that the max that you could pay for a property is 180, stick to that number. Don't try and fudge the numbers. Don't try and justify you going up. Now, if you have margin to where you can go up, then you can definitely do that. But don't make it a point of readjusting your numbers to try and make a deal work, okay? Um, another key thing that you could do for negotiation is justify your position. And um, so what I mean by that is tell your seller, you know, this is the reason why I'm making this, this offer. This is the reason why my numbers are at this point, you know. Comps in this area are saying this number, you know, with the rehab that we have to put into it, I need to be at this number. So you want to make sure that you justify your numbers with the seller and then ask your seller to do the same thing for you. So if the seller comes in and you know that you can only pay 180, but they want to pay, they want you to pay $240,000. Well, Mr. Seller, why should I pay $240,000? What's the justification for me to pay $240,000 for a property? And I know that I can only pay $180,000 for it, right? One of the things that they're going to say is Susie across the street, around the corner, down the block, sold their house for $240,000. Have them to justify how Susie got $240,000. Did you do the same amount of work in your property as Susie did in her property? Do you have new kitchen, new counters, new flooring, everything like that, right? Because some people, they want to compare apples to oranges. And if you don't make them justify that, then they will definitely try and use that as a comparison. And after talking with thousands of sellers and using this strategy, a lot of times, they begin to understand, wow, you know what? I can't command that price because I haven't done everything Susie has done to her property or my property don't have a pool or it's not in the best um, area in order to command that, command that, that price, okay? Um, and remember with negotiations, it's not a conflict. It's not a tug of war. It's not a back and forth. It's simply a conversation, right? Jim, this is the reason why I can pay $180,000. Understand if you can't accept that $180,000, but these are the reasons why my offer is at this point. And it's up to you to think that that offer is acceptable. Um, and then if they don't think it's acceptable, then say, hey, you know what? Sorry, we couldn't do business. But if anything changed, please feel free to reach out to me because this is the number that I'm willing to offer. If you can accept this number, I guarantee you that I'm going to come to the table. We're going to close on a transaction and the deal is going to be done. Okay. Um, so remember, it's not a conflict. You're not going into a negotiation as a tug of war. It's just simply a conversation. All right. Number three, how to be a great networker. What are some of the seven tasks every real estate investor uh, can do? Um, to be a great networker, right? If you haven't heard, real estate is all about 
relationship building, building these relationships and knowing who, how to build your team, right? And you need to network in order to do that. And I get it. I understand it. When you're going to some of these networking events or you want to go to some of these networking events, you may have that imposter syndrome where it feel like, well, I'm not doing this. You know, I haven't done a deal. You know, I don't want to feel stupid asking these questions, you know, yada, 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 everything like that, right? Well, this is, here are a few things that you could do you know, in order to be a great networker. One is show up, all right? In every city, every town, there's some sort of meetup or real estate investors association that you can go to where all real estate investors come together. So number one is just show up, be there, right? Um, Number two, when you're there, have your elevator pitch ready. Who are you? What are you looking for? What are you looking to give? Always lead with the position of value first, right? Um, Even if you don't have anything to offer, or even if you think you don't have anything to offer, you do have something to offer. One of the things as a real estate investor and a seasoned real estate investor, a lot of us, we don't like to do some of the minutia tasks. You know, if it's, if we're doing fix and flips, we don't want to be the one that's running the Home Depot or we don't want to be the one that's, you know, running errands for the contractors. If you're trying to be a fix and flipper, then that's something that you can do. You can go to a networking event, find who are the major players, the major fix and flipper and say, hey, you know what? I don't have any money to offer you for mentorship, but guess what? I got some time set aside on the weekends. I can help you do whatever. If it's throwing rocks, you know, in the yard, if it's, you know, helping the pool guy clean the pool, if it's removing junk out of the house, whatever it is, you just want to, you just want to leave with that position of value. That way they know that you're serious and that you can definitely help them and that you really want to get started. So show up know what you can give, know what you can offer, be authentic. (laughs) The worst thing that you can do is come to a meetup or start to networking and start out, you know, under false pretenses, you know, saying that you're somebody that you're absolutely not, right? So you want to make sure that if you haven't done a deal, hey, you know what, I'm new to this whole real estate thing. I'm trying to get, you know, some training up under my belt, Um, I don't know where to start. Can you point me in the right direction? Do you know somebody, anything like that? And then listen and be humble. So show up, know what you can offer, know what you need, be authentic, listen and be humble. All right. Um, Number four, what are some rules for buying your first fix and flip? Run your numbers, know your numbers. You got to know what a good deal in that market is. Never depend on someone else solely. So never depend on the realtor saying, hey, this is what I'll pay for this property because a lot of times some realtors aren't investors. The only thing they're looking for is their commission check at the end. And trust me, no slight to realtors. I told you in the beginning, I'm licensed in two states. So um, I definitely understand that. Um, know what a deal is to you. So that's knowing your buy box. What are you looking for? As a fix and flipper, what are you looking for? Um, And then inspect the property. Know what you're looking for when you're inspecting that property. You know, if the property is built before 1978, you know, are you looking for, you know, lead-based paint? Are you looking for asbestos? You're looking for cast iron piping because these things will increase your rehab costs tremendously. So know that. Uh, So those are, you know, a few things that you could look for 
when you're buying your first flip. One, run your own numbers. Never depend on someone else solely, right? You can get their advice, but don't depend on them solely. Um, inspect the property, know what to look for. And um, yeah, that's how you get started with number four, what rules for buying your first fix and flip, right? And always, always make sure you have relationships with a contractor, a genuine contractor, okay? So just to recap, I'm trying to get through 30 questions, 30 frequently asked questions I get. I've been doing these 15-minute free consultations on my website at Marcus E. Maloney. And these are some of the questions that I'm often asked, all right? So I'm just trying to get through these here. What are 10 things to do before I start marketing for a wholesale deal, right? What are the 10 things to do before I start marketing for a wholesale deal? So all the aspiring wholesalers, this is what I hear quite often. And here's my answers to you, okay? Know what investors are looking for, all right? So don't go into a market just trying to do some marketing. You want to start building relationships with known buyers. How do you find these buyers? By having a relationship with the title companies, the title companies, if you go to a title company and say, Hey, you know what? I'm looking at doing some off-market deals. I want to know who are the major real estate investors in the area. They're going to share that information with you because title companies only make money by closing deals. And if you're potentially going to be closing deals, they want you to bring those deals to them, right? So Network, know what buyers are looking for in that market um, and know what you're looking for. What's your buy box, right? So you don't want to just go into a market and start marketing everywhere. So I'll use, I'll use here Phoenix as an example. You don't want to market all of Maricopa County because you may not have the budget for that. You may not have the money for that. Um, hey, John, what's up, man? How you doing? Uh, so you may not have the market for that. You want to be able to narrow down your marketing and how can you do this? So once you find out where the buyer activity is, then you want to cater your marketing to where that buyer activity is. So if it's a certain zip code, if you know in 85016, there's tons of buyer activity, fix and flips going on, everything like that, then you want to make sure that your marketing is geared to that area. Because if you come up with a deal, guess what? You'll be able to find a buyer on the back end. One of the biggest mistakes I see investors doing when they're getting started is they spend a lot of money on marketing because that's what they hear. You know, you got a cold call, you got to do direct mail, you know, you got to do pay-per-click and everything like that. And they spend thousands of dollars in an area where there's limited buyer activity. Okay. Um, so know what your investors are looking for, know where you need to market at, know what your marketing budget is, right? So if you got $10,000, okay, you can start out with that $10,000 by doing some direct mail or pay-per-click. But just think, if you're starting and you're a novice and you don't have much money, like I had when I got started, I had to know what marketing strategy I needed to use. And I needed to use the low dollar marketing method. So that's like driving for dollars, you know, just going to different RIA meetings, networking with the people at the RIA meetings and seeing what deals I can find for them. Um, so know what marketing strategy you're going to use, know where you're going to get the data from. So you can use things like list source, 
PropStream.com or PropStream. I'll share with you a seven-day free trial of PropStream so you can pull a list of motivated sellers in your area absolutely free um, without without any cost for the first seven days. Um, know your process for accepting inbound calls. If you're doing marketing, guess what? People are going to call in and they're going to ask you about the property that, that you marketed to. So if you marketed to 123 Main Street, they want to know why are you interested in and buy on 123 Main Street. And you got to have a process for them to contact you. Is it going to be your cell phone? Are you going to run some sort of a CRM? You know, is it pay-per-click? You know, and they're going to fill out an online form. You have to understand what's your process for taking these inbound calls because you don't want to spend money on marketing and not be able to, you know, accept those inbound calls. And then you want to have your paperwork together your contracts, your assignment agreements, everything like that, your title company lined up. So you want to make sure you have those things in order. Man, I am way behind. I'm only on question six and I wanted to get through 30 questions in an hour. So I'm going to try and speed things up a little bit. Because I have 106 frequently asked questions that I want to get through. And I want to get through them this month, the 14th, which is today, the 21st and the 28th. It's my birthday month, and I'm doing this to celebrate myself and giving a gift to you all. So I'm calling this, what was it? It was cocktails and cake. I got my cocktail right here. Um, and uh, it's keeping me going, right? Keeping me going. So. Question number six, what are some rules for selling your flip? Provide a quality product. That's that's number one. You know, if you're if you're doing a flip, you want to make sure that you provide a quality flip where people want to hit the market, they'll be interested in buying it. How do you do this? Evaluate the comps, evaluate the other flips that are being sold in the area, right? Um, have a knowledgeable realtor because that realtor is really going to help you sell that property. Make sure that realtor, you know, conducts an open house or broker open so people can come in and view that property and give you feedback. Uh, prepare to make concessions, uh, especially in this market now. You know, not everything is selling top dollar, even though it's low inventory. So be prepared to make concessions. And what are concessions? The buyer may say, hey, you know what? I want you to pay for a home warranty, or I want you to, you know, give me a, a, a seller credit for a roof repair or something like that. So have those numbers baked in. Thoroughly walk through your property with your contractor and identify any deficiencies, right? Any defects. Make sure your contractor do quality work because that's the easiest way for you to lose money on a flip because a picky home buyer will come in and see one thing wrong and then they will think a lot of things are wrong and it will lead to them asking for more concessions, right? We had a prop fix and flip that we did. We had a window latch, right? A window lock that wasn't locking correctly. And because of that, the seller started looking for all of these other defects and was asking for like a $15,000 credit. Well, we told them, no, we're not giving you a $15,000 credit. We will come in with our contractor and make the, the small repairs that were needed. So just make sure you walk through 
with your contractor, make sure all of those minor things are resolved. Okay. Um, stage your property. I'm a big proponent of house staging. Um, we always stage our properties. Now, two years ago, you definitely didn't need to stage the property, but we staged our properties anyway. Um, and then, like I said, schedule a broker open to solicit feedback from other realtors. And that's a way for them to, to, to see the product before it, hits, before it hits the market. All right. What are some real estate investing myths that I often hear? This is what someone asked me. Here's some myths that I hear. Now is not the right time to get started in real estate. That's not true. Get started as soon as you possibly can because real estate normally always appreciates. And if it don't appreciate, the rents will appreciate and you'll still have a profitable uh, property. You have to have tons of money to get started. That's also a myth. Again, I debunked that. I got started with a $200 credit card. The market is going to crash like 2008. I highly doubt that. I know there's a lot of skeptics out there saying that the market is going to crash, it's going to crash. Um, guess what? If it does crash, that's great. You're in a position, you could be set yourself and be in a position to buy if that do happen. So just think if you knew now what was going on in 2008, I guarantee you, you will be buying as much property as you could in 2008. Okay. Renters don't pay their rent. That's completely false. Yes, you do get bad renters, but you got to vet renters just like you have to vet a contractor, just like you have to vet a relationship with an individual. Um, section eight is horrible and the tenants are horrible. That is completely false. Again, you do have some bad apples in the barrel, but not all the apples in that barrel is bad, right? So you have to screen your tenants. You have to do your own due diligence. Number eight, what are five things you wish you knew when you when I started out? What are five things I wish I knew when I got started uh, years ago? One of the things I wish I knew is, well, here's a few of them. How important it is to have a sounding board, right? How important it is to make sure you have somebody that you can talk to about a deal or about a situation. This is very, very important. So if that's a mentor, if that's a friend, if that's a family member, somebody that understands and know real estate, it's always good to have that other person uh, there that can evaluate a deal with you, give you another set of eyes. And that can even be a realtor as long as the realtor know exactly what you're trying to do. Um, start sooner and not overthink things. That's one of the things that I did when I got started was, you know, I delayed things and I was overthinking it, trying to figure out all of the steps from A to Z when the only thing I needed to do was to take the step A, okay? Not all realtors hate, hate wholesalers, right? That's not true. Realtors make their money by doing transactions and they will do a transaction with the wholesaler just like they'll do a transaction with the traditional buyer and seller. You just need to inform them and make sure they understand and know that this is a wholesale transaction. Um, what are five things you wish uh, I knew when I started out? One of the things is, you know, you don't need to have a license in order to get started. Don't listen to your own negative thoughts and your own self-limiting beliefs. And I wish I knew the importance of the real estate investors associations back then. I'm a firm believer 
in Rias. There's Rias across the country. I love our Ria as Ria. Big shouts out to Mike Dupree, Del Preet, who is our executive director, does wonderful thing, provides wonderful education and resources for the real estate investors here in the Arizona market or the state of Arizona and outside of Arizona because we have a lot of um, California investors. So the importance of being a member of Urea, right? Number nine, what are 10 questions every real estate investor should be able to answer? I'm not going to go over 10 questions. I'll probably come back to that. What are five ways? Got my, my cheat sheet iPad right here, right? I'm just making sure that I keep myself on task. What are five ways to build the trust factor with motivated sellers? Okay. Because, Hey, you know what? You're, you're picking up the phone. You're calling this person. They don't know you. They don't know who you are. What are some of the things that you can do to build trust with that seller over the phone? Here's some things that me and my team do. Okay. One of the things is integrity. Do what you say you're going to do. If that, if that seller says, you know what, now is not a good time. Can you give me a call back, you know, Friday at 3 PM and you say, yes, call that seller back Friday at 3 p.m. or even before Friday at 3 p.m. And, and you can lead that conversation with saying, hey, Mr. Seller, um, we spoke a few days ago. You wanted me to give you a call back Friday at 3 o'clock. You know what? It's 2.50. I wanted to just be a man of my word and give you a call back. They know that you're leading um, with integrity, right? Um, communicate the good and the bad, right? You want to communicate the good and the bad. If you're in a transaction and it's, starting to go awry and form that seller what's going on you want to be transparent you want to let them know okay the good and the bad uh be honest if you haven't done a deal you can share that with them hey mr seller i am an aspiring real estate investor you know this is my first deal this is my first opportunity if you work with me i'm definitely going to work with you to make sure we get this deal closed right because not everybody starts from the top. Well, nobody starts from the top and people, uh, sellers definitely understand that. Right. So, but if you be transparent, they will give you the leeway as long as you know that you can close that deal and you can lead by saying, Hey, this is my first, first deal, my first transaction, but I do have some professional partners that I work with that will help lead us through this transaction and get you to the closing table. That's all they care about is can you close? Can you perform? All right. Share your professional contacts. If you haven't done a deal or something like that, so share your professional contacts. Hey, my partner is so-and-so. They've done so many transactions or, you know, here's a title company that I've worked with before. You can give them a call and they can um, basically vouch for me. Or if you work with an attorney or something like that, that's something that you can do. And what do you do if you've never done a deal and you don't have these contacts, right? We send out what's called a credibility packet. And what that credibility packet is states who I am, right? It's a picture of me and my family. It states who I am. So I'm going over what are five ways to build the trust factor with motivated sellers. I'm on question 10. I'm trying to get through 30 of them. And these are frequently asked questions from me doing 15 minute free consultations over, you know, the past three or four years. So five ways to build a trust factor with motivated sellers, integrity. Number one, communicate the good and the bad, be honest. If you haven't done a deal, share that 
share your professional contacts and create a credibility packet. Again, credibility packet for me is, you know, I have my license, my agent license number in there. It has my LLC information in there. Um, it has a history of some of the deals that I've done. There's some testimonials in there, video testimonials from sellers that I've worked with before. So instantly they know that I'm not just some Joe Blow that have never done a deal or that's not doing things with integrity, okay? Number 11, what are some things nobody told you while getting started in real estate? What are uh, some things nobody told you uh, while getting started in real estate? One of the things nobody ever told me, right, was be careful because there's a ton of misinformation out there in the marketplace. Not everyone is credible, okay? And you gotta be willing to look foolish when you're getting started. It's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, let me get back to you because I don't have the answers. That's all right to do, okay? And then even if you're a room of, you know, quality investors that have done tons of deals, you know, it's okay to say, hey, I'm a rookie, never done a deal, but I'm looking to work, looking to get some help, all right? And if you are in that position, go to your local RIA. Again, here in Arizona, we have ASRIA. You can go to AZRIA dot org and find out all of the information you want to find out about getting started as a real estate investor okay what are some warning signs that you're looking at a bad deal what are some warning signs that you're looking at a bad deal one is if the numbers don't work don't try and make them work all right that's that's the first thing that's one thing people try and do is Try and fudge the numbers to try and make a deal a deal when it's absolutely not a deal. Number two, follow your gut. I know this sounds crazy, but sometimes your gut, and I got a big one, your gut to tell you, man, I don't think this deal is going to work out for me, right? And follow that. And then number three, right? Get expert advice to lead you in it. What is it? What do I have now? Expert advice leads you in a different direction, right? So don't. If you know the numbers don't work and you know you got a bad feeling about it, don't let somebody come and try and qualify the deal for you. Uh, some people that do that is agents. They'll try and say, yeah, this is a good deal, you know, because of X, Y, and Z, but those agents are not investors, right? And they're just looking to get their commission check on the back end. What are, this is what a few people ask me, what are five books all newbies need to read Today, one I'm going to recommend is the Bible, first off, because there's great strategies in there, you know, when it comes to money, negotiating, strategies, everything like that. So one, I'll say the Bible, number two, is Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki, to change your brain about the way you see investing. I never split the difference with Chris Voss, that's about negotiations. The Alchemist, about finding your path and your direction and knowing your goals. That's another one. And The Power of Broke by Damon Johns. Those are five books that I recommend that you read. Um, what is our time here? 4.36. So I got 24 minutes to uh, finish. What are the fees in a settlement statement? So when you close, getting ready to close a transaction, you will have what's called a settlement statement or a HUD statement. It'll show 
how much the seller is selling the property for, how much you as the buyer are buying the property for, and all of the numbers to where they balance at the bottom of the settlement statement. And that's what your title company or your attorney will generate. So what are some of the fees that, that go into closing a transaction out? So one is taxes, two is insurance, and there's all kinds of insurance, right? There's the property coverage insurance. There's alter insurance by the title company to make sure that, the, um, that you have a clear title on a property. There's attorney fees, title fees, there's property taxes, there's holdbacks. If you tell the seller, you know, hey, we're going to give you $5,000 up front, you know, to help with moving expenses or something like that, that's considered a holdback. You can hold that money back to help them move and everything like that. And then that will be on the settlement statement. There's title charges, like I said, city, village, and state fees, as far as taxes again. <laughs> and then there's lender fees for the lender who's loaning you the money if you're doing it with the lender. All right. So those are some of the fees that are in a settlement statement. Marcus, what are some investing mistakes you've made and what did you learn from them? Um, I'll give you two. I'll give you three, but one is in the same, right? I underestimated rehab costs. And then on another deal, I overestimated the rehab costs. So underestimating the rehab costs, thank God I didn't underestimate it too much, but we broke even on the deal that we thought we were going to make money on because the rehab cost was more than what we anticipated. So we were about 20 grand, 25 grand light on the rehab cost. So we had 20 to $25,000 and overages, which ate up our profit on that deal. So I underestimated the rehab cost. On another one, I overestimated the rehab cost. I had the rehab at like a hundred and it came in. No, I had it at a hundred or so. And it came in at like 83, 82. So that was a bonus, you know? Um, but if you overestimate the rehab cost too much, sometimes you can lose out on deals because you think it's not a deal because you're paying your numbers a little bit too much. And then another mistake is just putting trust in the wrong contractors. Sometimes you can work with contractors and they can tell you a good story, but at the end of the day, it's their work, their quality of work that reigns supreme. And you don't want to wait until it's time for you to do that final walkthrough and see <clears throat> that they don't have quality work. So always, always, always be present on your at the job site, you or, you know, your general contractor or your partner, make sure somebody is walking that property, you know, every single day. That way you have an update on what's going on with the property. And again, I do this from Arizona, flip properties in Illinois. Naturally, I'm not there throughout the whole process, but we do have people that are there walking those properties to keeping the contractors upfront and honest on some of the work that we've done. We, we just completed a 4,000 square foot turn of the century Victorian to where we did asphalt. We did the exterior, the interior and everything like that. And we had a team that went and walked the property every day to make sure that the contractor did exactly what they said that they were going to do. All right. 16. Can you give me advice on how to pick the perfect flip? 
Know what you're buying and don't deviate from that. This includes your numbers. So have your buy box together. If you know you want to buy three bedrooms, two bathroom properties, or three bedroom, one bath properties that you can convert to four bedrooms, two bath properties that are brick on, you know, in a nice A to B community, stick to that. You know, unless you cannot find that absolutely because the market has turned, stick to what you know, all right? When you start to deviate from that, trying to force a deal, that's exactly how you make mistakes and things don't work out for you, all right? Is there a beginner's guide to virtual wholesaling? If not, what are 10 ways to get started? Well, I don't have 10 ways that I can get you started, but here are a few. Uh, pick a market. Once you pick that market, understand that market and know why you picked that market, okay? Um, market to, you wanna do your marketing to buyers in that market. So you wanna look at buyers, what are they buying in that market? How are they buying it? Um, what are the numbers are they buying it at, okay? Because again, you're not in that market, so you wanna understand what are buyers looking for in that market. Um, build relationships in that market. Again, you could do that by going to meetups, going to RIAs, making phone calls. One of the things that I did, this was years ago when I was going into my virtual market, I started analyzing a lot of the properties, analyzing the properties. And I noticed that one realtor's name kept coming up on all of the properties that were flipped. This one realtor's name kept coming up, kept coming up. So I contacted that realtor um, had a conversation with them, flew out, met that realtor, and we hit it off. And we're we're friends today, and we've done plenty of deals together. But that's because I started analyzing that market. And guess what? When you start having those people in that market, they will be able to keep you updated on what's going on by ask by you making sure you ask the right questions. Hey, what is the market looking like right now? Hey, I'm out here on the West Coast. Things are starting to turn a little bit faster. Things are st staying on the market a little bit longer. Are you seeing that, that there? You know, and if so, why do you think that's happening? You know, what do we need to do in order to adjust our numbers or adjust our product to make sure they sell a little bit faster? Okay. Um, give me one second. So let's see, next question. Next question is, what was the worst financial advice you ever received? Um, this was the worst financial advice I ever received is you need your own money to do deals. That's specifically what somebody told me. Hey man, you gotta have your own money to do deals. And you got to have a high credit score. And I let and I let that deter me for a long time before I got started until I started looking and noticing that there were people out there that were saying, hey, you can do this with little money out of your pocket, you know, by building the right relationships. So one of the common things that you're starting to hear quite a bit is relationships, relationships, relationships. That's very important in this business. All right. Number 20, how do I find hidden real estate gems in a crowded market, right? A lot of people talk about how saturated the market is. You know, we can't find deals. Sellers are not selling. How do you find deals? 
Uh, my answer to you is go direct to seller. How do you go direct to seller? Go to direct to seller by going to listsource.com or propstream.com. Again, I got a seven-day free trial for PropStream for you to try it out. And you can put in keywords like motivated seller or sellers that are have tax liens, properties that have tax liens, properties that just went through an eviction, properties with high equity. You could target those properties, skip trace those addresses, get the sellers, the owner's telephone number and address, mailing address, send them a letter or pick up the phone and say, hey, Mr. Seller, I'm looking to buy a property in this area. I understand that there may be um, some ways that I can help you, or maybe, you know, I'm interested in buying. Are you interested in selling? And just having that conversation, right? So my thing is always go direct to seller. Yes, you could try and find some deals on an MLS. I just found one today where I'm working with the, with the agent on an MLS listed property. So there's opportunities out there, but you got to do the work. You got to get out there and you find them. All right. How do I start wholesaling and I only have $23 in my bank account? It's great. It's a great question. And this is not unfamiliar, right? You know, $23 is a specific number, but basically, how do I get started and I don't have any money? One of the things that I tell you always is go to, to your local meetups, your RIAs, especially your real estate investors association, because that's where all the investors are. You want to go there and you want to meet with those investors. Those are buyers. Those are sellers. Those are landlords. Those are fixing flippers. They have resources. You want to go there and start building that network with them. And then ask, ask a fixing flipper. If it's a room full of fixing flippers, stand up and say, Hey, I'm a wholesaler. Um, I want to get out there and I want to find what you're looking for. Where are you buying at? What, how much are you buying it for? What's your estimated rehab that you can do on a property? Give me all of that information and I'll go out there and I'll hunt for that property for you, right? That don't take any money. You get in your car and you start driving that neighborhood or you can even get on Google and do Google streets and start driving those neighborhoods on your computer and find properties that are in distress. All right. So that's, that's completely free. Uh, number 25, I got 13 minutes, 13 minutes, four signs you choose. What are the four signs that you choose the wrong real estate niche? Okay. What are four signs that you've choose chosen the wrong real estate niche? Uh, one is you don't have the passion for it, okay? A lot of people say they want to get started with wholesaling and fixing, flipping and stuff like that. Once they identify and they see how much work it takes in order to do it, then they say, ah, you know what? This is not for me. And that's okay. You may need to be a landlord. <laughs> you know, you may be need to be a short-term rental expert or something like that. You got to understand when something is not right for you. And it's not conducive to your area. You know, what if you want to be, have short-term rentals, but you live way out in the boondock somewhere? You know, you live in, you know, the middle of Nebraska where it's only cornfields. How are you going to be a short-term uh, rental real estate investor in that market? Can you do it? Yeah, but will it be profitable? Don't know. 
All right. Um, also, you don't have the resources to succeed at it. All right. You want to be, you want to build multi-million dollar uh, multifamily properties. You want to be a developer, but you've never done a deal. You have no money. You don't know what to do. You got to start from the ground up. So you may have to do something else until you can get into a position to find those developers, to start working with those developers. Um, and then finally, you can't dedicate the time for it. You know, you just don't have, you don't have the time for it. You're working a full-time job and you don't have time to, to monitor virtual assistants or something like that. So how are you going to do a cold call campaign if you're working 14 hours a day, you don't have the money for a virtual assistant, how are you going to do that, right? So you got to be, have some realistic goals and some realistic ideas on what you're trying to, to accomplish. All right. And then how to choose the perfect real estate niche. There is no perfect real estate niche. It's what is your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? Okay. So you got to be able to identify that. You got to know that. What am I trying to accomplish? What are my goals? You know, if you're younger and you just want, you know, some supplemental cash that you can go on vacations with, something like that, then it's okay to do, you know, wholesaling or fixing and flipping or something like that. But if you're older and you're looking like, hey, you know what, I want to increase my passive income because I'm coming up to retirement and I haven't set aside enough money for retirement, then you may need to look at, you know, being a passive investor on a syndication or something like that, right? So you got to know what you're trying to accomplish before you decide on the niche you want to be in, all right? Um, what are some common roadblocks new investors face and how to fix them? This is similar to a question above. Some of the common roadblocks is mental, most of it is mental, right? You believe that you don't have the resources you need in order to be successful, or you don't know the people that you need to know in order to be successful. These are some of the common roadblocks. And what can you do? You just got to get out there and you got to fight through it. You got to stop listening to those negative beliefs, that negative self-talk and get out there and be successful because everybody have to go through it. It's just, how long are you going to go through it? Because if you sit and you wait and you wait and you wait, eventually you won't do it at all. But if you get out there and you start facing these roadblocks and start overcoming them, you will know that, hey, you know what? This is possible for me to do. All right. Let's see what's next. How do I go about finding motivated sellers nationwide? And I'll let this be the last question here. It's coming to the top of the hour. So no, actually, I'm gonna do two more. So how to go about finding motivated sellers nationwide. Okay, so again, you can go to propstream.com. Go to my website. I'm just going to be completely candid with you. Go to my website, MarcusEMaloney.com, and you will see right up under the banner, it's a PropStream seven-day free trial. Click on that, get your seven-day free trial, and browse and peruse and see what it has to offer. And also on my YouTube channel, just put in there under my name, um, PropStream, and I did a, over an hour our tutorial with one of the developers of PropStream and it show you how to find motivated sellers. It show 
what key metrics to look for, you know, how to find people that are in distress. Once you find the people that are in distress, that's one of the that's one of the hardest parts. The next part is just picking up the phone and calling them. You can skip trace their information, like I said before, and pick up the phone and call them. Hey, Mr. Bob, I see you on the property at 123 Main Street. You know, I'm a, I'm, I have a family that buys property in the area. Are you interested in selling that property? And if so, can we have a conversation? Can I, can I talk to you for a few minutes about the property to get some information so we could possibly make you an offer on the property? Again, it's simply a conversation. And by having these quality conversations, that's how you're going to get closer to a deal, right? So propstream.com, that's, that's one way that you can find these motivated sellers. So some of the, some of the things that's on PropStream, you can find people that are going through bankruptcy, people that have IRS liens, tax liens, eviction notices. They recently evicted a tenant, um, city liens. Let's see what else. They're in pre-foreclosure. I'm trying to think of some other ones. Pre-foreclosure. Um, high equity that I stated before, but there's, there's bankruptcy. There's quite a few that you can, that you can look at and say, okay, well, if this individual is going through bankruptcy, they probably need the money. Um, so let me see if I could put some money in their pop pocket by buying a property, if they're going to lose it. Now, one of the things that you can do is you can, um, you can layer. So what if there's somebody going through bankruptcy, they just evicted a tenant and they're in pre-foreclosure. The property is in pre-foreclosure. That's a motivated seller, right? You want to get in front of them, okay? So that's how you go about finding those motivated sellers nationwide. You can, you can look anywhere in the country and find people that are on these lists, all right? And I just wanted to share this information with you. You can always, always go to marcusemaloney.com if you're looking for free resources for finding motivated sellers, purchase contracts, assignment agreements, you can go there. I have my podcast, which is the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, where we talk to beginning investors all the way to high level investors, give you the motivation and the actionable steps that you need in order for you to be successful. And then lastly, join me on all my social media channels. MRCS Maloney, that's at YouTube, that's at Twitter, that's at LinkedIn, that's at Instagram. You can join me there. I give away a lot of free content. And then if you're on YouTube watching this, man, subscribe to the channel. There's tons of information here that I put out quite often. And then, you know, give me a review. Let me know how we're doing. And then also hit that ding to get the updated notifications. All right. Thanks for being here. I will see you next week. Same time, same channel, going over the next 30 through 60 questions, uh, frequently asked questions. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. 
You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash MRCS Maloney, Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guest as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash MRCS Maloney, Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guest as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.